Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Nashville, Tennessee, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And a quick fade across the Harpeth River from me here in the Music City, it's our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton. Well, you know what I'm doing, Matt. I'm already scheming for next year. I've got a couple things going in. Uh, we, are, we are going full pirate mode, and uh, we're going to plunder some people on our schedule next year, and we're going to air rate them. So... Ooh. Yeah, I like to. I like to hear that. I like that you're going air raid and not fun and gun, because um, I know you could never. Uh, I know you could never do that. But we'd be remiss if we did not introduce the third amigo in the second city, a man who will definitely be on his couch on December eighth for the return of the grand tour. It's our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and counting, Josh Cook. Oh yeah, you, yeah. I've been watching a little bit of Top Gear lately too. I'm in the mood for some uh, automotive programming. I know that uh, that little nugget dropped last week. Uh, that uh, one of our favorite shows, Josh, or I should say, one of uh, three of our favorite uh, television presenters will be returning uh, next uh, in the early on next month uh, for their second series of the Grand Tour. Uh, for those of you who are not petrol heads out there, uh, the Grand Tour is hosted by Jeremy Clarkson, James May, and Richard Hammond and they do fun things in cars. And this show is uh, presented to you by Amazon, and that's our Amazon plug right there. All right. Well, uh, we're going to have uh, some other plugs later. So, um, But we've got a ton of big games, big upsets, and uh, just a lot of great action from across the country from this past weekend. So we'll get to the big games here in a minute. Um, but first, we're going to do a quick picks recap from our show on Friday. If you remember, we pick, always, always pick five games against the spread. This past weekend, gentlemen, we all went three and two, but we all managed to do it in a different way. Um, we were all on the correct side of Washington State at Utah. We all had Washington. Uh, we were all on the wrong side of Wake Forest at Syracuse, and I know Josh will be talking about that Wake Forest scene here in just a minute. Um, Josh and the coach um, were on the correct side of New Mexico at Texas A&M. I, for some reason, thought that New Mexico was going to keep it close. I don't know why. Uh, the coach and myself were on the correct side of West Virginia at K-State. And Josh and me, rock, chalk, Jayhawk, baby. We knew 34 points is too much for Texas. So uh, good work to you all. Brings our season stats to uh, coach still in the lead, as he has been since week one, 30-24-1 uh, against the spread. Josh, you are 25-29-1, and, and I am 24-30-1. So um, good job to you all, especially coach. Uh, you're still uh, out there, you know, throwing a throwing up better than fifty five percent, which is keeps you in the money, coach. So great work. There you there. Go. Um, anyhow, Josh, uh, I, I will throw the first quick slant out to you, and you're going to talk about uh, that Wake Forest team that we just saw in our picks. Yeah, that was a really really fun game. They got to a second straight bowl game in style. Uh, in a absolute shootout, one of the biggest shootouts of the year. They went to the Carrier Dome, won 
four to forty three at Syracuse, uh, three hundred and sixty three passing yards uh, for Mister John Wolford. He wasn't done. He also had one hundred and thirty six of their three hundred and seventy one rushing yards. A little Khalil Tate East in that game, uh, not to be outdone. Matt Colbert, two hundred and thirty seven yards. Uh, but what was crazy about this game is just how different the two halves played out. So uh, Wake got out to a nice start, and then Syracuse just came roaring back. And at one point, Syracuse pushed the lead uh, to 38-21 towards the end of the first half. Um, And then in the second half, Wake Forest just got going. Uh, They actually outscored Syracuse 40 to five in the second half. Uh, so this thing was, was crazy and uh, well done for Wake. Uh, getting to a bowl game two years in a row. Uh, this is a team that had a fair amount of turnover uh, from what I remember about our preview show. And we didn't have them finishing too high in the ACC, but the, the Deeks are getting it done and, that was a really fun one last Saturday. Yeah, definitely was. Obviously, I did not enjoy seeing uh, the team of my youth uh, lose what I thought was a very winnable game for them, at least going in. But, uh, you know, Wake Forest has absolutely blitzed them. I mean, you know, I I did not expect an offensive performance like that, especially since they went since their uh, top receiver, uh, Dorch, went down a couple weeks back. So, uh, Coach, I know for your slant, you are going to take us up to Rocky Top where we have said bye-bye to Butch. Yes, bye-bye to Butch. And uh, for Tennessee fans, it couldn't happen soon enough. They, to say they got flat-out embarrassed would be an understatement. Uh, Missouri, they put it on them. They traveled out there to Columbia, Missouri, and they – my ESPN is yelling at me. Georgia just falls six spots to number seven in the college playoff ranking as we record. But, oh, listen, oh. Coach, I'm going to interrupt you there because Aunt Sally literally just texted me about the rankings. So shout out to you, Aunt Sally. Absolutely. So, yeah, it was 50 to 17. Five and five Missouri who looked dead in the water. Uh, getting some momentum after back-to-back beatdowns of Florida and Tennessee, which is something you don't see very much. So, um, but, but Butch Jones uh, is, is owed $8.23 million uh, for the three and a half years he has remaining on his contract. And he will be looking for work or maybe not since he's owed a lot of money. So um, Tennessee is now in the hunt officially. I think uh, athletic director John Curry has been searching already. He's been doing his due diligence and the update is John Gruden is officially out of the mix. Uh, It's rumored a lot of smoke to the fact that John Gruden might be going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So if if we ever do an NFL pod, we can talk about John Gruden going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Hey, man, I'll tell you something. I love, love that river they got there in Knoxville. I'll tell you what, man, that's a cool river. (laughs) Oh, hey, hey, John, how are you doing, man? How was Monday Night Football last night? Uh, I don't know because the NFL is unwatchable. <laughs> I, I tell you what, I just love, love the treats in the press box. Love them. <laughs> oh, you know, I, I don't know if those guys at Tennessee are smart enough to run Spider 2Y Banana. <laughs> I don't think that Jared Guarantano can run the Spider 2Y Banana because he will not 
hit the fullback on the spider two wide banana. Yeah, I'll tell you what, man, that, that Manning family, I'll tell you what, that Manning family, pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good family, yeah. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and I'm doing the facial expressions like y'all can see me. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, you know, Aunt Sally, this is this is how you know we've hit it big time. John Gruden joins our show. I mean, usually it's just, uh, you know, famous college football coaches, old ball coach, you know, Bobby Bowden will call in every once in a while. Lou Holtz is a huge fan of the show. Ed Orgeron called in one time. He was you know, <laughs> uh, fired up and, uh, man, it's, it's good. I, I think, I think we might, uh, I think my people have reached out to, uh, to the pirates. We might be having him on. Oh, that'd be fun. I mean, we, we have no idea where the conversation will go. But because let's face it, whenever he does an interview, he the last thing he actually usually talks about is college football. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he did one of his press conferences. I think he went on a fifteen-minute diatribe about candy corn. That's fun. And uh, and I think he did one of them about mascots and how more teams in college football should be, should have their mascots be gorillas. Josh, how do you feel about the gorillas as a mascot? I know that you've always wanted your mascot, if you ever open up a university, to be the Carthaginians. Yeah, gorillas feels like uh, too much of a mouthful to say. Like, it doesn't roll off the tongue as easily as some other thing. I also feel that gorillas has uh, too many racial connotations going on with it. You know, it, it, it's been used, uh, any sort of ape term has often been used to belittle African Americans. And so... Calling a um, you know probably a predominantly African American sports team the Gorillas just doesn't feel uh, quite right in this uh, politically correct era. In, and that I we think live in. Th- there's a school, Pittsburgh State, that throws bananas at the opposing team when as they're si- as they're singing "Welcome to the Jungle." Mm. They are the Gorillas, so they welcome everybody with bananas. Yeah, that's, I don't know, feels a little too on the nose for me. But so, coach, okay, so quickly, give us, uh, give us your top three, four, five uh, candidates for this Tennessee job. All right, in no particular order at this moment, and I'll kind of give you my very way too early prediction on who's going to. So, act. who do you, uh, two things. I want to know who you, th- who you think it should be, but who, and who you think it's going to be. Okay. All right, I'll give you my, out of, I'll give you my no particular order top five that I think are going to be legitimately in the mix. Uh, you're going to have Dan Mullen, Jay Norvell, Justin Fuente, um, Scott Frost, and uh, Willie Taggart. Willie Taggart? Interesting. Yeah, his name is – He's. I think he's legitimately interested in it, although I think – After one year at Oregon? I think you have to cross off Fuente, though. <laughs> So okay. yeah, I, I, I think I think you're right too, Josh. Uh, I mean, Virginia Tech and Tennessee feel very similar. Um, so it's kind of a lateral move. But if you're thinking about championship aspirations in terms of division and conference, yeah, way ahead of Tennessee. Well, and I think you could say the same thing about Taggart at Oregon too. I think Taggart just wants to get back in the Southeast. So. Um, so he, here, here's how I see it shaking out. Scott Frost, I think, is going to go to Nebraska. All right. If he doesn't go to Nebraska, definitely Florida. All right. I think Taggart, if he comes, he prefer he would prefer Florida, but he's a realistic option. Dan Mullen uh, really wants to go to Florida, but I think that's the most realistic option. Justin Fuente's not going anywhere, and uh, who else did I say? Norvell. 
and Jay Norvell. So I think it's going to be between, honestly, I think it's going to come down to Jay Norvell and Dan Mullen. And I think it's going to be Dan Mullen. Well, I'll give you another dark horse. I've got it on good, got it on good authority that Will Muschamp is playing SEC bingo. He's trying to have all the jobs at one point in his life. Ooh. <laughs> that is a dark horse. No, a real dark horse is Greg Schiano. I've actually heard that name surface uh, more than once. Uh, and then an extreme, extreme dark horse is the uh, Mister Row Your Boat. I don't think he'll. I don't think he'll end up at Tennessee. But that's somebody that, if a lot of people start falling by the wayside, uh, they'll they'll contact PJ Fleck. I think they should go after Lane Kiffin. They really should. <laughs> I mean, he's a perfect full circle. Yeah, absolutely. That would be that would be uh, that would be too perfect for words. All right. Well, uh, if you have thoughts on who you think the next coach of Tennessee should be, you should shoot us an email: illegalmotionpodcast at gmail dot com. Um, but I would, think Dan Mullen would be the best fit, personally. All right. Um, I I personally think that uh, Chip Kelly is going to be in the mix there, but we will see. Yeah. Anyhow, time for my, my slant. Um, and if you'll remember a few weeks back that uh, we had just come off of a surprisingly huge game back in the Ivy League between Columbia and Dartmouth for uh, the league lead at that point. And since I've been neglecting my contractual obligations to discuss the ancient eight over the past few weeks, I figured it was time for a check-in. Since then, uh, things have changed quite a bit in the league. Neither of those two teams, Columbia or Dartmouth, are now atop the league standings, but instead it is the Yale Bulldogs who knocked off Columbia in Week 9 and have followed that up with victories over Brown and Princeton, and they now hold a 5-1 and conference record. After losing to Yale, Columbia followed that off with another loss to Harvard before bouncing back against upstart Cornell this past weekend. Dartmouth lost that same Harvard squad back in Week 9, but has won their last two against Cornell and Brown, putting them in a tie with the Lions for second in the conference at 4-2. and two. Penn, Harvard, and surprisingly Cornell all sit at 3-3 three and three in conference, but the Quakers are the only ones out of those three squads who have a positive point differential on the season. Princeton has been competitive, but still owners of only a 2-4 and four in conference record, while Brown is all alone down in the cellar at 0-6. This coming weekend marks the final games for the Ancient Eight, and Yale, Columbia, and Dartmouth all still have a shot at claiming the league crown. Should Yale beat Harvard in the game, uh, they will be the outright league champs, but should they fall to the Crimson, that would leave things a three-way tie atop the leagues uh, with each of those schools, Yale, Columbia, and Dartmouth, uh, all finishing out with five and two records in conference and one and one records against each other. And seeing as the league does not have any tiebreakers, um, for that or any scenario, which is strange enough. It would be a fitting ending for what has been an unusual year for uh, the oldest league in the country. So uh, that is our Ivy League update. So, gentlemen, before we get to the deep roots, uh, get your graphing calculator out because it's time for a pop quiz. So, yes, you have a question, Coach. No. All right. Grabbing my graphing calculator. All right. Um, last week we had a quick one about coaches. Uh, this week, uh, going back to a little bit more of the traditional one, uh, like we've had so far this season. So, um, gentlemen, there have been 19 different players this season who have rushed for more than 230 yards in a single game this year. Name those 19 players. 
Hmm. Uh, two thirty was the yard mark. You said two thirty. That is correct. Two thirty. Uh, uh, well, I am going to go with Danelle Pomfrey two point over there at San Diego State. Rashad Penny, Mister Rashad yeah. Penny. Yes, yeah. he is one of three players who has done it twice. I like my nickname for him, Donnell two point oh. Donnell All right, I'm going to go with Adrian Peterson. Adrian Peterson? Wait. He he's, he plays in the NFL, sir. <laughs> Wait a second. All right. Is this play. year not all time? Yeah, oh, not all time. Year. Just this season. <laughs> oh. Well, he, I think he did in the NFL, too. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he has done in the NFL. He, uh, I believe he has a single-game rushing record of, at 296 yards. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> okay, this season. Uh, I must have missed that part of your question there. Yes, this season. <laughs> All right. I think he's uh, exhausted his eligibility at this point. Ah, well, damn. Um, I haven't exhausted mine yet. Uh, I'm going to say, he said Donnell Pumphrey, so I'm going to say Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley has not done it. Well, damn. Mm. Josh. Mm. Uh, he's leading the entire NCAA, so I would certainly hope Bryce Love's done it. Bryce Love is the second player who has done it twice, uh, both on September 30th as well as on September 23rd. Back-to-back games, in fact. Hmm. Back-to-back games over 260. Mm. Wow. Would Justice Hill be one of the candidates? He leads the Big 12 in rushing? Uh, That's a good guess, but no, he is not. Over two. Over two. Josh? Uh, I'm going to go with the hottest player in America. I think Khalil Tate's done it. Khalil Tate is the third player who has done it twice. He holds the single game record this season, 327 yards against Colorado back on October 7th, as well as on October 14th against hey, UCLA. Hop quiz sidebar. Did you guys see the box score from Arizona's win over Oregon State? I did not. It's like video game statistics. They had... 329 yards, rushing yards at halftime. They ended with 534. That sounds I'm like... I'm pretty sure they had seven rushing touchdowns. That sounds like most games in my NCAA 2K4, 2K12 dynasty. Or no, 2K12, what am I saying? 2K8, 2008, I think, at Navy. Wow. <laughs> One of the great dynasties in the history of uh, collegiate football video games. Nine national titles in 10 years. Jesus. All right, John Wooden. Slow yeah, it down. That's what yeah, I'm here for. Easy, easy there, Chief. All right, Coach. You're over two. I know. I'm about to strike out here. I'm yep. totally, totally at a loss. I'm going to say Darius Geis. Darius Geis has done it, yes. Oh, he nice. went for 276 on October 21st against Ole Miss. Yes. Hmm. I know he had a big day against Ole Miss. So uh, he, he's leading all freshmen, and he's had a lot of big days, but 230 is a huge number. I still think Jonathan Taylor's done it. He did it against Nebraska on October 7th, 249 yards. I should just look up Nebraska's schedule and identify each of the running backs they've played. Actually, it'd be a better idea to look up UCLA's schedule. <laughs> <laughs> look, up, look up Ole Miss, too, while you're at it. 
No, uh, actually, uh, I will say, though, uh, UCLA is actually the only team on this list that's given up uh, games to more than one opponent, and we've already named them Khalil Tate and Bryce Love. Mm, nice. Damn. Well done. Well done, man. Uh, so it's on you, Coach. This is for your third strike. I know. Such a big, big, big strike here. Um, damn, I don't really know. I'm going to need a name. You will need a name, won't you? Um, is it going to be... I'm trying to look, think at conferences here. Is it going to be from – it's got to be somebody from the Mountain West. They don't play defense out there either, most of the teams. Um, there are a couple more players from the Mountain West, yeah. Okay, it's got to be – okay, so uh, Boise State has racked up a lot of points this year, so mm-hmm. I'm going to go with Alexander Madison. That's correct. Alexander Madison against Colorado State on just this past weekend, 242 yards. All right. Nice. Um, so they run for a whole lot of yards and he doesn't pass for any and Army's had a really soft schedule, including an FCS team. So I'm going to say Ahmad Bradshaw's done it. That's correct. Uh, against yes. Air Force two weeks ago, he, he ran for 265. All right. All right. That's a good hint there at the, the service academies. Yes. So I'm gonna go based on that. I'm not gonna go to. I'm not gonna go to Air Force. <laughs> um, I will stay in the Mountain West though, because I this is kind of one of my favorite conferences. I'm gonna actually look at Nevada's schedule. They get they tend to give up a lot of points. So let's see. Uh, ooh. They, they, they give up a lot of points all year long. I'm going to say – I'm going to throw out a wild card here. I'm going to say um, the second best running back that I've seen in the Mountain West. I'm going to say from BYU, Squally Canada. Sorry, that is incorrect. That is three strikes for you. He rushed um, for 213 against UNLV. I figured he would There was another opponent who did it against Nevada from the Mountain West, but it's not that person. Uh, Josh, you got any more off the top of your head? You've already well, won. Well, your hint, I think, was directed towards Zach Avey at Navy, right? That's correct. He's one of two Navy players on this list. Yeah. Um, so, I, unless I had a brain freeze, I don't think any one of us had said Josh Adams, right? Uh, no one said Josh Adams because he hasn't done it. Oh, okay. Um, he was at like 228 <laughs> as his high for the year. Okay. Um, boy. Uh, let's see. Have we said uh, Ronald Jones over at USC? Ronald Jones has not done it over at USC. He hasn't done it either. Oh, man. All my exes came here at the end. Yeah, we got All me. my exes. Oh. Live in Texas. Um, That's why Coach and I hang our hat in Tennessee. So I'm I'm going to wrap it up there. Uh, I had I had one wild card that I wanted to say. Do it. Uh, I'm going to throw some love to a really good running back, and I'm going to say Iowa State's David Montgomery. David Montgomery, good guess, hasn't done it. 
Okay. So uh, the players you missed, uh, Malcolm Perry from Navy um, did it against SMU, mm. 282 yards. Khalil Herbert from Kansas, 291 yards against West Virginia back in the last week of September. How many yards did he have? 291. And knowing Kansas, he's probably rushed for 300 yards on the season? Yeah, probably. Uh, Philip, Lin- <laughs> Philip Lindsay at Colorado. Uh, oh, against, at, yeah. against Arizona, 281 yards. He's like it, their only offensive starter back from last year's team. Yep. Uh, A.J. Dillon, the fantastic true freshman at Boston College, uh, went for 272 against Louisville about three weeks back. Um, D'Angelo Brewer from Tulsa ran for 262 against uh, UL Lafayette. Uh, Darren Hall at Pitt went for 254 against Duke. Taquan Marshall of Georgia Tech uh, ran for 249 against Tennessee. Devin Singletary of Florida Atlantic ran for 244 against Western Kentucky. Uh, Jalen Moore of Appalachian State, 241 against New Mexico State. Diosemi Sanjust of Hawaii, he's the other Mountain West running back we were looking for. He ran for 241 against Nevada. Mm-hmm. Matt Colburn, the second. Uh, just this past weekend, Josh, game you recap, 237 yards against Syracuse. Ooh, that's and not Liam He is the last one that you didn't name. So Josh takes the cake on that one. So um, anyhow, good job, gentlemen. Uh, we will be back for more trivia fun a little bit, uh, well, not, not a little bit later today, but later on this week. So time for us to hit some deep roots, and we're going to start with the group of five, and we're going out west where Boise State uh, headed down to uh, Fort Collins, Colorado, and uh, took out uh, the Fighting Bobos 59-52 to in overtime. This was a fun one. Um, Brett Rippon, uh, you know, opened it up. He had four, three, 331 yards and four touchdowns. Um, like we just, like a guy that coach just mentioned, uh, uh, Madison, Alexander Madison, the tailback from Boise State, he had 242 yards and three scores on the ground for Boise State in what ended up just being a wild, wild game, Josh. Um, what were your takeaways from this one? Yeah, I mean, uh, Colorado State had been in a funk. They lost their last two games before this one. And when they got off to that really hot start, they were up 21-3 to after the first quarter. I, I was thinking, holy crap, here we go. Uh, Colorado State finding a way to, to pull off a big upset. And then Boise just, they've, they've been so hot these last few weeks. And once they got their offense into gear, they got going. And their defense stepped up, played a lot better in that second half, holding the Rams to just 17 points in order to force overtime. And, then of course, holding the Rams to nada in the extra frame. Uh, gutty, gutty victory on the road for this Bronco team. Yeah, I mean, where was the defense? Oh, that's right. Colorado State doesn't have a defense. So uh, pretty uh, – Pretty solid game. I was I was pretty wiped out. I didn't really watch this game much. I was watching the uh, the Miami game, the track meet of the Maya or the beatdown from that we'll talk about later. Uh, wore me out. Uh, I was watching Alabama. That came down on the wire. So we'll talk about that later. But um, again, just Boise State turning it on. They're getting hot at the right at the right time. Uh, looking like the heavy favorites to win the Mountain West. So. Uh, Good job on them. I know I gave them a hard time early on. Yeah, and, you know, none of this would have happened if it weren't for a late score by Boise State. Then they recover their own onside kick and score again just 43 seconds later. 
um, that was, that was pretty crazy. So, um, you know, I mean, just recovering an onside kick in that situation, uh, Colorado state was up 52 38, uh, with, you know, three minutes to go in the game and they were kicking off. And so you think, okay, you know, for two scores in three minutes, that's going to be pretty tough, but Brett Rippon, man, um, he's had an up and down season, but when he, when he's up, he is up and he has been, uh, you know, he's been really fantastic over these past few weeks. So uh, good for them. And then once they tied the game, he sent it into overtime, you pretty much knew they were going to win. Um, they, they got the ball first in overtime and, you know, moved the, moved the ball very easily, uh, you know, four plays into the score and Colorado state ends up uh, fumbling at the, at the six yard line um, on third and two, uh, in overtime to uh, end the game. So tough way to lose if you're Colorado State, especially being up 14 with three minutes left. But, you know, um, you know, good for Boise for gutting out a tough one. Elsewhere in the group of five, though, um, Navy uh, had a nice victory uh, down in Dallas where they, when they beat SMU at the Cotton Bowl. Um, the final score in this one, 43 to 40, uh, back and forth contest with Navy able to, um, hold out and win at the end. Uh, of course, you know, another game, another, uh, uh, you know, uh, with, and especially what was most impressive about this one for Navy was the fact that they were playing without, uh, Zach Aby. And they were still able to get the win off of SMU. Um, obviously, uh, they got a huge performance by the aforementioned Malcolm Perry, sophomore running back uh, from Clarksville, coach. Uh, oh, yeah. He, uh, he ran for 282 yards um, and four touchdowns, including a long of 92 yards. Uh, so, uh, Josh, you know, uh, what, do you think this game said more about Navy or about SMU? I think Josh's computer froze. Oh no, well, that's no good. Yeah. Well, so, coach, I'll let you, I'll let you answer that same question. Does it reflect more on Navy or SMU? I think it reflects more on Navy. I think Navy is they're starting to kind of find a groove. Uh, they you know they they're really starting to kind of click and uh, do a lot of things right, and and you're starting to see them. They it it kind of started. Uh, they struggled at the beginning of the year. They just couldn't find a rhythm. They couldn't. Couldn't get into, you know, again, they couldn't get into a groove. But um, I, uh, you know, I was watching a game where they were playing in front of a high school crowd against Temple, and they were just running up and down the field. Um, but, uh, you know, it just goes to show you that once they get going, they're they're tough to stop. And uh, they have a lot of resolve there. Ken Nimadolovo does a good job. So I don't think it speaks – uh, much to SMU. I think SMU did everything they could to win. I think Navy just did one one more thing, uh, and that one more thing was Malcolm Perry going 92 yards to the house. That, that, that's a that's a backbreaker um, if you're SMU. But I mean, you can't you can't fault SMU. They you know they played about as good as you could play. They played more than well enough to win. They just didn't make enough plays at the end. Pull out that victory. All right. Thanks, Coach. Uh, Josh, I'm going to ask you the exact same question there. Um, was this game more about Navy or was this more about SMU? Uh, well, I agree with pretty much everything Coach said, but I'll make for a good podcast and talk about SMU. Uh, the Ponies, this was a game that they could have easily packed it in at halftime and not cared in that second half. They were down 34-11 to 11 at halftime. They roared back. They had a great second half. Uh, 
I know they're six and four. I know they're just three and three in conference. A few weeks ago, we talked about how they had a little bit of a track to make the title game. Um, but let's not take away from the rebuild and get into a bowl game. Uh, they're kind of like the smaller version of Iowa State. For you know, since that death penalty, this has been a really tough job. Whenever they can get to a bowl game, that's something to applaud. So I know SMU couldn't quite get all the way back. And like Coach said, Navy made one or two more plays than SMU, uh, but still a nice second-half comeback by the Ponies. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, good for them for, you know, for, for keeping in there. Well, uh, speaking of teams that were down at halftime but went the other way, let's move on to Miami-Notre Dame. Miami was up 27 nothing at halftime and kept the gas on, winning 41-8. to uh, This was, uh, you know, I think a lot of people were expecting a good game, competitive game. We did not get that. We saw one team clearly dominate what a lot of people thought was, you know, probably the best offensive line and rushing attack in the country. So, uh, you know, Josh, um, what impressed you most with Miami here in this one? Well, I think Coach will probably agree when we unfortunately get to his team's game. But uh, Notre Dame is just a one-dimensional team. And when we previewed this game, we mentioned Wimbush's continued lack of passing pop. And we kind of just glossed over it because of that offensive line and because of Josh Adams. But we finally saw what happened when Notre Dame played a team the caliber of Miami. And we saw some of that against Georgia. But obviously that game was in South Bend and Georgia had a freshman quarterback make his first start. So that's why it didn't spiral out of control. But on the road, Rozier's an experienced kid. Uh, Rick is I think, without a doubt, a better coach than Kelly is. And and this is the outcome. Yeah, especially, Coach, when you're going to win the turnover battle four to nothing. I mean, you know, I I think that that was one of probably the most telling stat on the day, for me at least. Yeah, I mean, as much talk as we've seen about that dang dang turnover chain, uh, it it was out in full force, man. Anytime you can win – uh, four, to, four to nothing in the turnover battle. You're always in great shape. I think Manny Diaz had a great plan uh, against Notre Dame. I think he, I think he forced Notre Dame into that pack passing box there and uh, made them one dimensional in a way that they wouldn't. So, uh, or they wouldn't succeed, I should say. So, uh, hats off to Manny Diaz. He's been, uh, you know, catching a little bit of flack and. You know, with their struggles against the run game, uh, I think he really answered the bell here and, and shut down a good back or a good to great back in Josh Adams. Yeah, I mean that was you know a, a very very impressive performance all around. I mean keeping Josh Adams to you know two and a half yards per carry and out of the end zone was great. Uh, Malik Rozier was I, I thought had one of his most complete performances of the year. The, the stats aren't going to wow you fifteen for of twenty four for one thirty seven and a touchdown, but I felt like every time they needed a big throw from him, he was right on point. He also you know, scored <clears throat> touchdown on the ground, averaged about five yards per carry on nine. Carries. So, uh, you know, kudos to him for really stepping up in a big way. He had been shaky in some of their closer games, but man, he looked really fantastic there on Saturday night. 
Elsewhere in the ACC, um, we had one uh, other big, I would say kind of a big upset, uh, when Georgia Tech took down uh, Virginia Tech uh, up in Blacksburg. Um, So, uh, you know, Josh, were you as surprised as I was that the Yellow Jackets were able to upend the Hokies? Well, with Georgia Tech uh, kind of becoming the new Clemson and losing in kind of baffling ways. It was surprising that they held on. Um, But Virginia Tech, once they got eliminated from that division race, not entirely sure where their heads were at. Uh, But also Josh Jackson, just I think he's hit a freshman wall, and and it's it's pretty obvious. His uh, first six games of the season, he had – uh, high 50s completion percentage in his first two games, and it was at over 77% against East Carolina and then over 65% the next three games. Uh, since then, his four games, three of the four have been in the low 50s with the Duke game dipping below 50. Uh, spiked a little bit against Miami, but not enough to really turn the table. And as so his passing has gotten worse, and as a result, his adjusted QBR totally, totally down now than it was in the first half of the season. And like I said, I think it's just a little bit of a freshman wall. Some freshmen battle through it, and, and they play at a high level all season long. And we've seen that from countless, countless kids. But the majority of freshman quarterbacks – kind of have the same trajectory as Josh Jackson, but uh, the, the Hokies are still a good team. They'll figure it out. I, I have all the confidence in the world that this is just a little blip on the radar. The, the combination of Jackson's play and the disappointment uh, heading to Atlanta to face a not-too-shabby Georgia Tech team was just a, kind of a perfect storm situation. Coach, anything to add there? Yeah, they, I mean, Virginia Tech, just every time I've checked in on this game, they just look extremely flat. Uh, and, and they just they helped Georgia Tech out a lot, and it just didn't seem like Georgia Tech really wanted to take this game over. And they again, they just looked extremely flat. Josh Jackson looked lost out there at times. He looked like a freshman for sure. He hadn't really looked like a freshman much this season, so I'll give him credit where credit is due. But I mean that you know that has got to be you know something that. If you're Justin Fuente, you want to pull your hair out at, at those type of games because, I mean, you're playing well enough all season to have a shot at winning, you know, at, at going to, I guess, Charlotte's where the game's played, I guess, right, um, and and representing your division. But, you know, not when you're – just, again, the, the I guess to summarize everything that I'm saying is the word that describes Virginia Tech the best is inconsistent. Yeah, I, I would fully agree with that. Well, let's head over to the Big 12, where Oklahoma got their uh, second big win in two weeks, uh, knocking off TCU 38-20. to All of Oklahoma scoring came in the first half. They were up big, 38-14 at halftime, and were able to hold on and uh, shut down TCU in the second half, um, finishing the game 38 38- to 20 at home, uh, putting Oklahoma firmly in the driver's seat of the Big 12. So, uh, Josh, uh, did Oklahoma's defense do anything to improve your notion of them going forward? 
Uh, not really, because I just don't think that highly of Kenny Hill. But I'll tell you what did impress me is TCU's defense. In that second half, they forced uh, all punts outside of one drive where Oklahoma failed to convert on a fourth down and then the end of the game. Uh, I think TCU with a little bit more polish on offense really could have made this an interesting game and, and possibly even won it. Um, and maybe maybe I'll get burned by this in a few months. Maybe Oklahoma will win the national title, but I'm not seeing it. it their defense to me, not good enough. And this offense that shut down by TCU, a good Big 12 defense. But where would TCU's defense be in the SEC or the Big Ten? I mean, I'm just not seeing the Sooner team. I don't know how they line up against these fundamentally sound teams that bruise you on both sides of the ball. Coach. Yeah, I, I just don't, you know, to, to piggyback off what Josh is saying, I just don't see Oklahoma lasting um, in the playoff game. I, I think they'll they'll do their thing and they'll put up their numbers, but if they get if they get Alabama, it's a wrap. Uh, if they get Clemson, it's a wrap. I mean, that, I don't, I'm not, I'm not seeing that offense doing a whole lot against those teams. I mean, they, they, uh, you know, they struggled, you know. Texas was a physical team, but Texas is nowhere near the caliber of defense that Clemson is or Alabama is or even Miami or even Wisconsin or Georgia or any of the teams that are in the in the in contention. They they definitely have the worst defense out of all the playoff teams that are that are possibilities, um, you know, within that top seven. Even Auburn's defense would eat their lunch, I think. Because what Auburn's got one of the best front sevens, and I'll get to that later, but uh, you know, you can't really take away what their offense has done. They've done a tremendous job playing within the Big Twelve, but I don't think you would. I don't think you call the Big Twelve a, a defensive juggernaut type conference. But uh, within their conference, TCU definitely um, is, be, is best known for their defense. Uh, they're they're known as the defensive team within the Big Twelve, and they still put thirty eight points on them. So uh, I guess you have to give that some some credit as well. Um, they were all over them early on. They jumped them. They broke their will. And, and that was, that was all she wrote. You know, Kenny Trill couldn't be Kenny Trill. And, uh, I just, this TCU team, I, I was, I, I drank the Kool-Aid. I'll be honest with you, man. I, I drank the Kool-Aid and I, I was ready to, I was ready as Dennis Green. I was ready to crown him, you know? And, uh, I was ready. I was ready to say that, man, they're, that this is the class of the of the Big Twelve, man. They're going to win it, man. They play defense. Kenny Hill is 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 not so up and down this year. He might be he might be a legitimate player in this conference, and then all of a sudden, they just seem like they've fallen off a cliff, and they can't they don't have an answer for anybody, and it's just like they're losing confidence. And maybe it's a depth issue. I don't know. Well, we will definitely see going forward. Well, speaking of the defense optional conference, um, we had uh, another uh, defense optional game up in Ames, which we had not been accustomed to seeing this year. Iowa State has, with TCU, been the best defense in the conference. But Oklahoma State went up uh, to Ames and was able to win a shootout 49-42. to uh, Josh, this was a, another back and forth one. I think I, I think this loss uh, actually stings a little bit more than some of the other ones. 
Yeah, they've had 14-point leads on the Pokes uh, back-to-back years, if not each of the last three seasons that Iowa State hasn't been able to hold on to. But I I think it stings for a variety of reasons. Um, Kyle Kemp got hurt, so they went with the majority of the game with Zeb Noland, uh, a a freshman. Yeah, and then also um, Mea Culpa, Iowa State. I'm... I'm terribly, terribly sorry. It was 42-34. This game was before Iowa-Wisconsin, and I switched over to it, and I had not been jinxing Iowa State. I would watch highlights and check box scores, but I, but I did not watch a single play live of their Oklahoma or TCU wins. And the second I switched over is 42-34. Second, I switched over. I saw Oklahoma State's touchdown and two-point conversion, and then I saw Iowa State go three and out. Then I saw Oklahoma State's touchdown, and then I said, "Okay, I got to get off this game because evidently I brought bad juju to Iowa State." So I'm, I'm very sorry, good people of Ames. I put this loss on my shoulders. Yeah, Josh, it's all your fault. Yep. Uh, coach, uh, you got anything to add here? Are we are we are we talking about? Do we do I have to talk about that ugly game up in uh, up in Madison? Well, no, we're not we're not there yet. We're still in the Big Twelve. Um, we got huh. one last one. Uh, West Josh, Virginia. you, you threw me off. Um, we got one more. Uh, last one: West Virginia over Kansas State. In um, you know two unranked teams, but still two quality opponents in the Big Twelve. This is one of our pick'em games this week. Um, you know, Josh, you you pick Kansas State in this one. So, um, you know, and you thought going in the Kansas State was a more stable team. So what was West Virginia able to do to get the win in the Little Apple? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, besides uh, the, the, besides score more points, obviously. Uh, well, I'll tell you what's concerning and why I still don't really trust this West Virginia team. This is the second time in as many weeks they've been shut out in the second half. This is true, but at least this time they pretty much shut out Kansas State except for a late field goal in the second half. Yeah, I mean, that's just not a recipe for success. Uh, I I just think it's the schedule for West Virginia, quite honestly. Kansas State, they're a banged-up team. They're playing with a backup quarterback. Um, And one of these days, I'm going to be right about West Virginia. They're going to get blown out. I've already lost 50-39 to to Oklahoma State. So in about a couple weeks – November 25th at the Sooners, you're going to see this Dana Holgerson team. You're going to get flat-out embarrassed because they are paper tiger to uh, – they're paper champ. Some uh, Mr. T quotes from Rocky. They're just, not that good. they're just not that good of a team. Yeah, they'll make a bowl, and they'll, probably, they'll end with seven or eight wins, but I'm not picking them in many of their games. And depending on their bowl matchup, there's not a chance in hell I'm taking the Mountaineers in their bowl game. Um, all right, well, let's move on to the Big Ten. So sorry about this in advance, Josh. Um, but it was uh, it was a, a wild ride in Madison on, on Saturday, um, especially if you like turnovers, um, because Ooh, turnovers. this one was filled with them. Seven total turnovers between the two teams, including three alone from Alex Hornerbrook and almost the fourth. Um, uh, he, including two pick sixes to, um, you know, uh, to, uh, what is Justin Jackson, Joshua Jackson, um, 
John Jacob, Jingleheimer Schmidt, whatever his name is, <laughs> two pick sixes. And uh, Alex Hornerbrook was a better quarterback for Iowa than Nathan Stanley. Yeah. Um, uh, Joshua Jackson is the name you're looking at. Joshua Jackson. Thank you. Um, uh, Josh, 66 total yards for the Hawkeyes. Mm-hmm. Yep. 66. Um, that is uh, questionable. Um <laughs> I mean, uh, let's face it. That uh, if you get when you get sixty six total yards, that's that's, that's, that's you're not going to win a whole lot of football games. Yeah, uh, you're going to win zero football games. Add to that, you had the fact that Iowa coughed the ball up three more times. Uh, one pick from Nathan Stanley. Um, also, a Nathan Stanley fumble that was a scoop and score for Leon Jacobs. That would okay. That one is not fair to put on Stanley. He was changing the protection at the line, and for some reason our center that people think is going to play on on Sundays. And I still think he will. This is his first mistake like all year, but the center snapped it without being told to. Yeah. I want to go on the center. Yeah. I know, I know the stat says quarterback, but uh, that's not true. So the center um, hit the quarterback in the nuts with the ball. That was kind of funny. Um, yeah, yeah, Matt. I was watching this game alongside you. Um, I was feeling about like Josh because of the other game that I was watching that matched this. But yeah, for those uh, for those of you who aren't aware, uh, Coach and I watched uh, the Wisconsin, Iowa, and uh, Georgia Auburn games with side by side TVs in his living room. It was uh, quite a bro fest. We, Huck yeah, even got yeah. in on that. Yeah, Huck Huck, uh, Huck got in on on the action. He was watching Sunny Bunnies. Um, when he wasn't watching football. And if you don't know what Sunny Bunnies are, um, hashtag toddler life. Uh, it's these little fur balls. It's a little three minutes short with these little fur balls that like do crazy stuff. But anyway, um, I digress. It seemed like every time I looked over, it was just like a head in the hands type moment for, for Iowa. Wisconsin tried so hard to keep them in the ball game with pick with two pick sixes. All right. They had, uh, what was the guy's name that had uh, like quadruple the total yards on his two interception returns? <laughs> yeah, Joshua Jackson. Joshua, Joshua Jackson. Yeah, yeah, he had 95 yards on his two interception returns. Iowa and, as their offense had 66. Yeah, that yeah, he had more interception return yardage than Iowa's offense produced. It was the most pitiful thing I've ever seen. Sorry, Josh. Uh, maybe I should have wore the uh, the, the smokeout uniforms again. Uh, or whatever y'all called those. You just wear those year-round. But uh, it was one of those that it's just Wisconsin just broke them. Like, you, you ever seen a team just get broken? Iowa got just flat broken physically, mentally, emotionally, socially, <laughs> academically. Sure, they failed a couple of tests this week as a result of that game. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, uh, some of the some of the other telling stats from this game: uh, Iowa five first downs, zero for thirteen on third down. They did not convert a single third down the entire game. There, uh, here is Iowa's drives from the game: three plays punt, five plays. Uh, yeah, three plays for four yards, punt. Five plays for 13 yards, punt. Three plays for eight yards, punt. Three plays for negative 11 yards, punt. Three plays for three yards, punt. Three plays for negative seven yards, punt. Three plays, zero yards, end of half. Three plays for negative six yards, punt. 
Five plays for one yard, uh, scoop and score for a touchdown for the Badgers. Three plays, eight yards, punt. Six plays, 33 yards, best drive of the game, interception. Three plays, negative 10 yards, fumble. Three plays, nine yards, punt. Four plays, 11 yards, end of game. Um, I have not seen a more dominating defensive performance um, from not just from the Badgers, but from almost any football team in as long as I can remember. Um, Jimmy Leonard dialed up some good stuff for this game. And I, a week after scoring 55 against Ohio State, who has, you know, a million first-round draft picks on their defense, um, to, to shut out the Iowa offense was, you know, uh, was pretty exceptional. And, uh, you know, the combination of scheme and personnel just absolutely had Iowa baffled. And Wisconsin was the more physical team and the more dominant team on this day. So kudos to you, Badgers. Yeah. Well, uh, so I'll give uh, give the explanation on why that was the case. Uh, so there are several. First, what Wisconsin does well is they're the only 3-4 team in the Big Ten. And they don't just dabble in the 3-4. They didn't just introduce it this year like Nebraska. They are the 3-4 defense. This was the first defense Iowa has faced that runs the 3-4 that runs it this well with this caliber athlete. Uh, So Iowa was going to be in a schematic bind trying to figure out how to attack this and and solve this riddle from the get-go. Uh, you mentioned Jimmy Leonard dialing up a lot of great stuff. That goes without saying. Uh, also, schedule-wise, um, I think this was something not enough people had talked about, but Iowa's road games up to this point at Iowa State, uh, plenty of Hawkeye fans there. Uh, and then at Michigan State, that stadium is much, much smaller than uh, Camp Randall. Just doesn't get as loud and it's not like Kinnick where the, where the, the uh, fans are right on the field. Uh, Spartan Stadium is a nice stadium. It's a fun stadium. But it's not like this crazy, difficult environment. And then they were at Northwestern, which is about 60-40 in favor of the road team every time Northwestern plays. So this was their first road trip in an absolute hell environment. So that also didn't bode well. Uh, I thought my dad said it perfectly. Stanley returning home, first game in the state of Wisconsin since high school. He looked super tight. Uh, So those things did not help. And then last but not least, uh, this talk after the Ohio State game that Brian Ferentz is a genius. And I heard people say that. I heard Kirk Herbstreit say that. He's not a genius. He is a freaking moron. Now, this is his first this is his first year as an offensive coordinator. He can learn to be a good offensive coordinator. But as of now, he's a moron. And the reason why is we totally dominated Ohio State using the tight ends. Gentlemen, guess how many targets the tight ends had in the first half? I'm going to go with two. Uh, you would be two too many. Zero. They weren't thrown to at all. We did nothing to get them open. Which there is are... especially stupid because Wisconsin's starting strong safety, who might be the best player on their defense was not playing in this game. Yeah, that was absolutely stupid. Uh, Also, play calling. Uh, Hey, right by our end zone, let's almost give up a safety by running a stretch play against a defense faster and more athletic than us. 
terrible play call. And finally, I don't remember Iowa doing a single rollout all season. And there's a couple reasons for that. One, anyone that we called was not memorable because it either didn't work or yielded a very small uh, amount of yardage. Or, B, we just haven't been calling rollouts. I don't remember a single rollout all season of note. And what did we do against Wisconsin? A faster and more athletic defense? He called a boatload of these slow-ass developing rollouts, and the announcers said it perfectly, and announcers say this all the time. You roll out, you slice the field in half. You do the defense a favor by rolling out. And Brian Ferentz, you coached under Bill Belichick. I don't remember Drew... Uh, what's his face? Why am I blanking out his name? That's how angry I am. The best. Tom, no, Tom Brady. That's why the Drew tripped me up. That's how mad I am. I'm getting hot and bothered. But the coach you supposedly learned everything from, how many rollouts has Tom Brady run in his career, in his like 35 year NFL career? Maybe one? If we do an analysis on Tom Brady, I'd like to see how many actual downfield routes he throws because I don't think it's that many. Well, not since he lost Randy Moss. Yeah. No. I, yeah. I don't I don't think it was even to Randy Moss. I think it was just the occasional shot play to Randy Moss, but I think a lot of Randy's routes were like 10-yard digs or in routes that he would catch and go. Uh, I, I really don't think they run a ton of downfield. Wisconsin's defense is a nightmare to go up against playing with a full deck and our offense decided to play with a like 45 card deck and then tied one hand behind their back. We double handicapped ourselves. Well, uh, just to put a bow in this game, I want to give a a special kudos to um, Kendrick Pryor, who uh, missed the first six games of the season, um, or I think seven games of the season, because he, in during uh, fall camp, he fell off his moped and basically broke his entire face. Scored his first two co- career collegiate touchdowns in this game, one rushing, one receiving, um, a great end around uh, for a 25-yard scamper uh, for his first touchdown, and a second one, nice 12-yard reception. Uh, so, Kendrick, kudos to you, uh, freshman, who I think the Badgers are expecting big things out of, especially now that Quintez Cephas, uh, leading receiver on the Badgers, is lost for the season. Anyway, elsewhere in the Actually, Matt, can I tie a double bow on that game? We can, we can double knot this one. Uh, so Wisconsin is quote-unquote not sexy and quote-unquote like doesn't have a passing attack to contend. But here's what they do do. They have an absolutely amazing defense. They have the best defense in the Big Ten. But the other thing they do that is going to be tough if they make the playoffs – It's going to be tough even against a team like Alabama, and that is their offensive scheme is just weird. They use their offense alignment in a way that other colleges don't. And you mentioned that end around, Matt. The block that sprung that was the center snapped the ball and then pulled. That's not collegiate stuff. They're running like NFL pulling schemes with these uber-athletic offensive linemen so, yeah, it's not flea flickers. It's not exciting bells and whistles. But it is a pain in the neck 
to try and defend. And that's why Wisconsin, if they make the playoffs, is still going to be a tough team, even though they're not our ideal Oklahoma throwing for 5,000 yards a game. You don't need that if you play defense and you have Jonathan Taylor. That's, I mean, I was I was joking with Matt every time they showed Ron Dane highlights or they showed Jonathan Taylor rumbling. I said, Matt, here here's some uh, here's some highlights of Wisconsin throwing the deep ball, and it was just a toss sweep into to uh, to uh, Jonathan Taylor. So, I mean, if they don't need to, why? I mean, why? I mean. Why in, in Wisconsin is pretty much the only team I know in the country that utilizes their fullbacks. They have two fullbacks who both get a ton of snaps. I mean, in their last game, not this game, but um, last uh, the previous week, their backup fullback scored three touchdowns. You don't see that every week. So, um, Josh, you're right in the in the schemes and the way that they utilize their personnel. They have you know three tight ends and two fullbacks who they use a ton, and uh, it creates uh, you know the mismatches that they. They want to see um, on offense. So, anyhow, elsewhere in the conference, uh, Ohio State uh, followed up their lackluster performance at Kinnick with uh, a good old-fashioned beatdown of Sparty uh, back in the horseshoe, forty-eight to three. Josh, this game was basically over before it started. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Urban Meyer doesn't lose two games in a row. No, he really doesn't. And I'm I, I feel so stupid for uh, picking Michigan State to cover in our Pick'em League. I should have known better. I should have known better. Um, and then the other the other score that really stuck out to me from the Big Ten this weekend, um, well, P.J. Fleck uh, rode his boat to uh, 54 points against uh, Nebraska defense, uh, that, and Nebraska only scored 21 in this one. Obviously, the writing's on the wall from Mike Riley. But uh, I remember last year when uh, Wisconsin uh, defensive coordinator uh, – uh, the Wisconsin defensive coordinator left for uh, Cal to become the head coach out there, and uh, Justin Wilcox. And a lot of Badgers were like, "Oh, we got we got to get Bob Diaco. He's a uh, you know he's the guy that we really want to we, we really want leading our, our defense." And guys were really upset when they promoted uh, Jim Leonard from within. Well, uh, Bob Diaco's defense at Nebraska this year eh, not so hot. So um, sometimes you got to be thankful for for what you get. And well, I, I would remind you that Bob Diaco is trying to implement a 3-4 in a school that has never recruited for 3-4. So some stubbornness on Bob Diaco's part, but Wisconsin would have been a really, really good marriage. Um, but one game that I want to mention real quickly at the Big Ten, uh, Northwestern, they won again. They have not lost since early October. Uh, five straight Wins, they're nationally ranked, and they're getting some stellar play from Clayton Thorson during this run. Uh, he's thrown for uh, 240 or more yards in every game but one during this streak, and teams are just loading the box to try and stop Justin Jackson, a really good running back, and Thorson's arm is making them pay for that decision. Yeah, definitely. Uh, kudos to them. They're now seven and three, and uh, will definitely be moving up in the rankings again this week. They yeah, host Minnesota. That will be a fun game. That will definitely be a fun one. Um, and uh, a, a cherry on top for Badger fans. Uh, if assuming that Northwestern can beat Minnesota this week, uh, the Badgers uh, during the final week of the season are playing at Minnesota, and not only could that cap off a perfect season, perfect regular season for the Badgers, but it also could prevent Minnesota from going to a bowl game. That would just be doubly sweet. Uh, See, I'm going to be a contrarian. I think I'd rather have Minnesota win, get their sixth win, 
So then they're not playing for as much. This is true. I can understand that. But, but you know, I, I I really think Paul Chris, if he's smart, I mean, you got to do the NFL thing. You've already clinched the division. I would just press all the starters. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Anyhow, um, uh, let's head over to the Pac-12, where the most surprising score came Friday night on the farm. Uh, Josh, in our preview, you didn't really give him a chance, but Stanford, man, um, they upset Washington 30-7. to uh, Three touchdowns from Bryce Love uh, and some, was, uh, and some uh, adequate quarterback play from KJ Costello. So, yeah, um, what was I, I, think that was, I think that was the difference maker, KJ Costello going over 200 yards. He hadn't shown it all year, and finally I get bit by Sanford getting a competent game from a quarterback. Mm-hmm. You got any other thoughts here on, on that game? On, on, on Stanford? On Stanford, I think. Or on Washington, either one. Or on Washington. I, I was more disappointed in Washington. I, You know, I, I couldn't I couldn't decide what I wanted to make of this game and what I wanted to make of the score of this game. You know, Bryce Love is going to do his thing. Uh well, I guess what I was more more concerned with was the fact that Washington was trying to be a playoff team. They were trying to get in the mix, and they were trying to say, oh, we're going to be the Big 12 champions again. We're going to be right back in the playoff mix. We're going to leave off where we, we're going to start back up where we left off against Alabama. We're going to make some improvements. And one of the worst quarterbacks in your conference throws for over 200 yards against you, and all that kind of goes out the window. Um, and then Bryce Love does his thing, and, you can't have both. It, you know, it's kind of like how, how teams in the NBA used to treat the Lakers. You know, let Kobe go off for his 50, 60 points and shut everybody else down. That's kind of how you have to play Stanford. And, and if you don't, you're, you're going to be in trouble and you're going to be in for a long night. And that's what Washington did. And, and Stanford was able to put up 30 points and really just kind of look like the Stanford that we thought they were going to be. And, uh, you know, Jake Browning, again, uh, you know, it, just just another tough tough go for him. Um, but you know, I, I I guess I guess to wrap up what I'm saying is I I'm more impressed with Stanford and just kind of what they did. Again, they were another team uh, that I like to talk about that I like to watch because they're a team that struggled early on, much like Navy, and uh, they finally got Bryce Love healthy. They finally got him back into the mix, and and when you have a great running game it helps your quarterback and Costello was a beneficiary of, of Bryce love. And, and that's, you know, they, they say, you know, I don't always believe that. Um, but in this scenario, I, I think a great running game is definitely a, a good helping tool for uh, for a struggling quarterback. Definitely. Well, I'll tell you what playing Washington needs to start running. So this is what they need to do. They need to put Mr. Pettis about 15 to 20 yards behind the quarterback, and they snap to Jake Browning, and then Jake Browning flips it over his head so it's spinning like a punt, and then Pettis just catches it and runs like it's a punt return. That's the play they need to start running. I mean, you know, at least Stanford didn't kick to him this game. Um, and anyhow, um, elsewhere in the conference, uh, UCLA uh, won uh, a back-and-forth game in the Rose Bowl against Arizona State, uh, 44-37 to with uh, – Josh Rosen uh, sort of rounding back into form. Uh, he had 381 yards and a touchdown. Um, uh, you had USC. Both of those teams are inexplicably trying to lose out. Yeah, somehow. Um, 
uh, USC uh, beat a, a tough Colorado team uh, in, in Folsom Field, 38-24. And Wazoo, who we mentioned from our picks, um, won a tough game in Utah, 33-25. to Furious comeback late for the Utes, but fell, out, fell uh, one score short for them. Josh, any thoughts on any of these? Well, Arizona produced my favorite box score from the Pac-12, but Washington State, Utah actually produced my second. Uh, here was Washington State's offense. Uh, Mr. Luke Falk, 40 of 69 for 311 yards, three touchdowns, two scores. Uh, going over to that rushing attack, uh, as a team, 17 rushes, 27 yards. <laughs> uh, that's what we like to call not balanced. <laughs> Definitely not. Coach, anything, uh, any thoughts on any of these? Uh, to be honest, not really. All right. Well, then, Coach, um, we're going to cede the floor to you. Um, I was with you on Saturday, and <sighs> while I was uh, elated by the defensive performance of my Badgers, your Georgia, your Georgia Dogs, who I, you know, I thought probably had the best defense in the country coming into this week, their defensive performance uh, against Auburn left something to be desired. Um, and so I have uh, never seen you so irate. Uh, in, in my life, um, but you know, uh, I'm going to let you have the floor here uh, and let you wax poetically about your dogs. Well, first of all, uh, I apologize if my uh, not my best behavior. Um, oh, it doesn't bother me. You've never hung out with me when the Badgers lose, so. So, but anyway, uh, yes, it was probably easily. Uh, one of the worst defensive performances, really just one of the worst all-around performances. I, I think even the water boy has, uh, has some blame uh, in this one. But, you know, really what it comes down to is the offense not being able to run the ball. Okay, I know, I know we've been talking about defense. The offense not being able to get any push whatsoever on Auburn's defensive line, that, that certainly hurts. Um, the defensive line not being able to get any pressure in the run game. Uh, Kerryon Johnson in the Auburn offensive line just gashing uh, Georgia's front seven, which really hasn't been done all year long. Uh, Jarrett Stidham obviously um, had a pretty good day. Uh, as a result, again, it's one of those cases where a great running game helps your quarterback. Uh, stupid penalties, big, timely, stupid penalties – like a uh, a leaping penalty, you you've got you've got Auburn punting from deep in their own zone, and you get a leaping penalty uh, because you go up and over the uh, personal protector wall uh, to try to block a punt. Um, albeit, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go on and on about my opinion about the uh, the rule itself, um, but it is a rule. Georgia did break it, did break it legitimately. Uh, so I can't really fault the refs for throwing the flag there. The rules in place to, to protect players and especially punters from being vulnerable. So I understand it. I don't necessarily love it, but I understand the rule and, 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 and the, the inception of the rule. So I'm going to have to go uh, there as well. So, uh, again, there was a per- couple personal foul penalties that uh, just late hits out of bounds, face masks, things like that just – kept drives alive for Auburn all day long. Chances where Georgia had to get off the field on third down, couldn't take advantage of it, could not get off the field. So um, it was bad. Uh, Riley Ridley, uh, Georgia's up seven to three. 
Riley Ridley breaks off a post route. DB falls down. There is nobody around him. He walks into the end zone. He does cartwheels in the end zone. He break dances in the end zone. Whatever you want to say, he does that into the end zone if he catches this pass. Um, but it hits him in the hands, and then it hits the turf. Drop. Uh, we punt. Auburn takes it down. I th- and I think that's when we got the leaping penalty, I believe, after that drive. But uh, Nick Chubb couldn't do anything. But he, the one thing he did in his uh, – in his 27 yards on 11 carries as he did pass Bo Jackson. That was, that was the, the lone bright spot of the game. He passed Bo Jackson on the all-time rushing list. But, uh, I mean, anything that could have gone wrong went wrong. Uh, Rodrigo Blankenship, who's been completely automatic, missed a field goal. Uh, don't get me started on the play call that led to the field goal attempt at the end of the half. They have 22 seconds and the ball at the plus 30 uh, with a chance to run a couple of plays, run a few plays. And uh, I think – and I made this joke to Matt. Matt, you can back me up on this. Uh, I made the joke that uh, I was I was questioning whether uh, uh, Brian Ferentz stepped into the Georgia press box for, uh, <laughs> for a series. And, I mean, it was they, the weakest – some rollouts? No, he called – Probably we haven't run on Auburn all day long. We have we've we haven't gotten more than two yards of carry all game long, and they're so scared to they're so scared to sit back and throw the ball when that they call a run play and run it down all the way to two seconds. So they get one playoff in twenty two seconds and kick call timeout and kick a field goal. It was the most. And didn't they miss the field goal? And then missed the field goal. Yeah, and and, and that that was so freaking absurd. Like it was, it was the it was. I mean, it it was the uh, it was from the Andy Reid school of clock management. Yeah, I mean, it was it was they were coaching scared. I mean, there's no other way to put it. They were scared to throw the ball because they didn't want to get knocked out of playoff. They didn't want to get knocked out of playoff contention. They didn't want to get knocked out of field goal range. And I mean, you have a quarterback that can make the throws and uh, on a few plays you've actually had decent time, uh, especially on early downs, you've had decent amount of time to get the ball out. I mean, throw something out there quick, get some yards and, and, and rock and roll, but they were scared. And uh, Darius Slayton, again, uh, probably one of the worst defensive plays out of our free safety. Um, I think, I think they're going to charge him $32 for uh, face value for a, uh, for a uh, ticket and wrote in because uh, on the Darius Slayton long touchdown pass, uh, you see J.R. Reed just standing there. And I'm pretty sure in most coverages, a free safety plays deep center, deep middle of the field in most coverages, unless it's cover zero. And if you're back there all alone, it's not cover zero. And why he was just standing there watching the ball go over his head and into Darius Slayton's arms is beyond me. Uh, Malcolm Parrish got burnt on that one, but he should have had safety help on that. Um, if I'm uh, if I'm not mistaken, I don't know what the coverage was, but uh, not many coverages that I know of have the free safety down in the box. So uh, that was baffling to me as well. Um, and at one point, I looked over to you, Matt, and said, "Yep, we just quit." 
Yeah. And uh, you said, you know, one of the things you said to me was that, you know, you couldn't remember a a Georgia team just quitting like that in a long time. Yeah, it wasn't um, the last time a Georgia team did that like that was the Florida game in 2015, where uh, the subsequent result was uh, Mark Rick found out that he was found out privately that he was not going to be returning. They obviously didn't announce publicly, but. That's when the wheels started moving for to to get Kirby Smart. So um, since then, and I've only seen Georgia do this like two other times, uh, and both of them were against Tim Tebow. Uh, I've never subsequently all three of them were against Florida. I've never seen a team just absolutely quit like that. And it's not like they quit on Kirby or whatever. They just they just flat out it's it just like Auburn broke them, just broke their will. And it was it was pretty pitiful to see. Um, I don't know if I left anything out, but I, I guess the story of the game was uh, missed opportunities, uh, stupid penalties, and getting whipped up front. All right, uh, Josh. Oh, and a muff punt. Oh yeah, the muff punt. I, I blocked that from my memory. It's like I, I, I just said, you know what? I'm gonna forget this game and. Uh, I put it behind me, but yeah, the muff punt. Oh, the muff punt. He he gave it to him on inside the inside the red zone, and uh, that was that was that was bad. That was uh, real bad. All right, Josh, uh, you got anything to add here? Yeah, you know, I think if this had happened against any other team other than Georgia, I think Coach would be as excited as I am about Auburn's maturation on that line. And Stidham getting uh, better and better in these marquee games. So uh, way, way, way back to start the year against Clemson, uh, the Tigers from Clemson uh, won that game 14-6, to but they were aided by 11 sacks. Are you kidding me? 11 sacks, 14 tackle for loss, and four quarterback hurries. As a result, Stidham, rough day under 80 yards passing, no TDs, no picks. That was a long day. Against LSU, the Bayou Bengals uh, got three sacks, seven tackles for loss, and three more quarterback hurries. Uh, Not as good as Clemson, but still pretty aggravating day. And Stidham, another long one, nine of 26 for 165 yards, a touchdown but no interception. Finally, this team really broke through. They only allowed two sacks to Georgia's uh, feared front. Uh, Eight tackles for loss, six QB hurries. So the sacks were down, but those hurries are still way up there. And Stidham responded well, 16-23, 214, and three touchdowns. Uh, Any other team coach, I think you would be as excited as I am about this trajectory that Auburn's on heading – two weeks away from that iron bowl, but, uh, if if I just, if I step away from, if I put the, put the Georgia hat away for a minute, yes. What Auburn did was nothing short of amazing what they did up front. I mean, I, I haven't seen defensive line play like that in a while. I mean, they, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if, if half of those guys, maybe even three quarters of those guys end up playing on Sundays in some capacity. I mean, those, I mean, I, I described uh, Matt. You and I talk probably more frequently than than Josh and I. So uh, I'll give you this analogy, and I don't know if I said it on the show or not, but 
the most violent defensive line, defensive front that I faced all year as an offensive coordinator was Hillsborough High School. They were the most violent, just come off the ball and just try to rip your head off every play. That's what Auburn was doing. They were the most violent defensive front that this Georgia team has faced all year, and they didn't know how to respond. It was like Mike Tyson running across the ring and throwing a haymaker on the first punch, and the opponent just can't recover. And that's what happened in this game. Now, hopefully uh, Georgia takes care of Kentucky. Hopefully take care of Georgia Tech. 11-1 going to the SEC championship. And hopefully the SEC championship is more like the Hagler-Hearns fight, which both both combatants are bloodied and beaten down and just comes down to the wire. I'm hoping that's kind of how it, how it happens. But, I mean, you never know. So uh, it, it's got to be – something's got to improve there. But, yes, Josh – Auburn, they have grown tremendously. Carry on Johnson is going to be a going to be a big time Sunday player. Uh, Jared Stidham was uh, was brilliant in this game and how he managed it. And you know his stats aren't going to jump off the page at you, but I mean he did a lot of great things, exploiting Georgia's defense and checking in the good plays and things that don't show up on the stat sheet. He did a lot of that. So, you know, I, I got to tip my hat off to Auburn. They whipped our tails. Uh, they did a tremendous job up front on both sides of the ball. And then they took advantage of, of all the miscues. They didn't squander any opportunities. And so, you know, when, when, when you put all that together, it's a recipe for disaster. All right. Well, quickly, uh, before because we have to wrap up here, um, a couple of the games in the SEC. Alabama needs a late comeback, but ends up winning 31-24 in Stark, Vegas. Um, Mississippi State seemed to have, you know, uh, they, they were cruising along up into the fourth quarter, but then, um, you know, their, their defense in the last two drives just sort of finally gave in to Alabama's continual continued um bludgeoning uh lsu uh, still some con- still some concerns there though because uh you know 38 rushes as a team 19 of them came from jalen hurts i just don't get the quarter the running back rotation that alabama's doing right now yeah we talked about this on the preview pod and josh you asked like you know what's up with bo scarborough and i i still don't know man that kid's a physical specimen you expect them to be him be toting the rock some more um, LSU, uh, uh, you know, uh, handled Arkansas 33 to 10, um, uh, South Carolina, uh, nice win for them, uh, 28, 20 at home over Florida, Florida now, oh, and two, um, in the post, uh, shark lover era. And, and finally, uh, Mizzou putting up half a hundred on Tennessee at home, Tennessee, uh, there is a, you know, a much better than zero chance that they will finish the regular season winless in conference. So, uh, Coach, you have any thoughts on any of those games? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to kind of go back to the uh, to the Alabama game, uh, you know, and, and just kind of talk about why Mississippi State kind of faltered down the stretch there. Uh, you know, I, I think it just honestly goes down to depth. They were well prepared. They had a great game plan. Mullen – uh, had great in-game adjustments. I think they handled Alabama well for the most part. I just think depth got a hold of them in this game, and and Alabama just made plays down the stretch when you know you have depth to take over. That that's kind of where it strikes you is 
late in the fourth quarter when you're trying to hang on to win against a team that's as talented as Alabama and can do as many things as Alabama, uh, that's where depth gets you. That's where recruiting gets you. And that's where the differences in recruiting budgets will, will, will take a hold of you with Mississippi State and Alabama. And Alabama's got some concerns. Uh, you know, they're going to have to strap it up here in a couple of weeks against Auburn in the Iron Bowl. And I think they travel to Jordan Air, which is extremely scary uh, for the number one Crimson Tide. And, uh, you know, my concern is, is Jalen Hurts and his ability to be a dual-threat quarterback. I think uh, he's not much of a dual-threat. I, I think he's kind of a one-trick pony almost, and I, I think he struggles in the pass game. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think – I think they feature him too much in the run game. I don't think they – I don't think they have a heavy enough dose of Damian Harris and, uh, and Bo Scarborough, and I think they need to. And uh, so – you know, Alabama's kind of shaky, but, you know, 10-0 is 10-0. A road conference win is a road conference win. So got to tip your hat there to them. I uh, talked about Missouri and Tennessee. Uh, Darius Geis, again, getting it done with three touchdowns. He's a special back for, for LSU. Glad he's getting getting the rock rolling. And, uh, you know, uh, Vanderbilt taking one on the chin against Kentucky. Kentucky improving to 7-3. and three. So uh, look out for them. South Carolina wins ugly. Uh, but again, a win's a win. Uh, Florida is extremely, extremely bad right now. Uh, they just, they just can't, can't get it together. So, uh, decent weekend in the conference there. Uh, a couple good games at the top of the conference. And then, uh, you know, just sad to see the state of, uh, that Tennessee's in, uh, in football. And it's just, it's, it's really bad. But, you know, I think they made the right move. Well, you guys are you guys are burying the lead, though. I mean, come on, let's break this Arkansas thing down. They had LSU right where they wanted. It was thirteen to ten. Arkansas just got that beautiful field goal to pull within three points. LSU goes on a little bit of a run, uh, scoring twenty unanswered. But uh, you, you know, credit Arkansas defense—they held LSU. Under 500 total yards of offense. They held Darius Geis under 200 rushing yards. Uh, this, this Hogs team, you got to watch out. They host Mississippi State, who, I mean, what have they done? They're, they're barely nationally ranked. Give me a joke. Give me a break. And then they host Missouri. I mean, Missouri, they might not even go bowling. Arkansas is, they're peaking at the right time, ladies and gentlemen. Get got to watch out for these Hogs. <laughs> Ooh, pig, suey. All right. Well, uh, on that note, are there any final thoughts uh, for you on the week, Josh? Yeah, big shout-out to uh, Florida, not Atlantic, international. Uh, They also joined, uh, you know, they didn't this week because they lost to Old Dominion, but we we missed mentioning it previous week. But uh, they're having a nice season also. They, before losing to Old Dominion, they had won three straight to get bowl eligible. Uh, Florida Atlantic's the – Great story for Conference USA, but what Butch, Dav- what Butch Davis is doing just down the road, also pretty impressive with the Golden Panthers. Definitely, Coach. Uh, Final thoughts? I think he stole my thunder there, but uh, <laughs> the coaching searches are going to get interesting. Uh, don't think we're done by any stretch in, in the SEC. I think you're going to be looking at uh, Arkansas. You're going to be looking at Ole Miss. You're going to be looking at Tennessee, Florida. And you're going to be looking at Texas A&M and 
and Mississippi State because Dan Mullen is going to leave to go either to Florida or Tennessee. Uh, he's going to be going somewhere, um, and maybe Missouri, but they're 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 kind of getting a little bit hot right now. So Odom might be able to save his job after the last couple of weeks. So it's going to be an interesting race there in uh, in the Southeastern Conference as far as coaching. Oh. Guys, just across the wire real quick, one of those funky Mac games that was played here on a Tuesday night. Ohio fell at Akron 37-34. Bobcats 8-3 in conference, but that was a big tie-breaking game late in the season. Both Akron and Ohio 5-2 in the division, but obviously Akron had the tiebreakers. So a Mac title game, going to be an interesting one. Uh, definitely. And uh, last shout out, uh, Georgia State uh, g- getting bowl eligible, uh, beating te- uh, Texas State on the road, 33-30. Uh, they're now 5-1 and one in the fun belt. And, uh, you know, things are getting things are getting fun in the fun belt, uh, as they have been all year. Uh, you know, Georgia State uh, tied with Troy and Appalachian State all at 5-1. and one in conference. So, um, and with Arkansas state, uh, just, uh, right behind them at four and one. So last couple of weeks going to be an interesting race to see, uh, who is going to take home, uh, the Sunbelt title. So, uh, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on that as well as the rest of the country for college football. So on behalf of our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton, and our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting up there in the second city, Josh Cook, this is the professor saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Oh, yeah. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.